Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host Nick Polak. Nick, welcome back to the pod. Hello, good to be back. It's all right to have... Well, you being on means Matt is not on, which means I'm happy. Matt's going to listen to this podcast and understand that that's a joke, people, but believe me, it's not. Uh, Also not a joke, the fact that Penn State and Pitt are playing for the last time in a while uh, this Saturday, Nittany Lions playing host at Beaver Stadium, noon kick, ABC. Uh, Nick, last time we're going to see this one for a while, does that make you happy? It does. I this I truly think this is a pointless game, and I know that that is not a uncommon opinion on the Penn State side of things. But it's just, Penn State just gets nothing out of this. There's it's not it's it's a no win scenario. If you beat Pitt, no one cares. You beat Pitt. It's not an accomplishment. And if you lose, then you just hear Narduzzi and Pitt fans running their mouth for the entire year. Uh, it's it's just not it it doesn't benefit Penn State, and it keeps Penn State from playing and a more marquee non-conference opponent. It's funny, Pitt has, uh, this series, it's 52-43-4 and all-time with Penn State having the edge, and uh, Pitt's 43 is boosted by a 14-game winning streak between 1922 and 1938. So uh, this isn't one of the, oh, and then before that there were two ties, and then Penn State won, and then Pitt won six in a row. So... 20 of those 43 wins by the University of Pittsburgh game between 1913 and 1938. Well, uh, that's when most of their major accomplishments happen. So. Pew, 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 pew. Uh, it's, it, it's, see, it's weird because this is one of those things I think you and I come from it from a bit of a different perspective since that's true. we didn't grow up Penn State fans. We didn't grow up Pitt fans. Uh, our four years in Happy Valley. Did, uh, did I ask Sherry you actually grew up as a Pitt fan? Uh, no, because Nick, you're mixing up Pitt, you're mixing up Pitt in Washington State again. That crap, oh, that thing that oh. you do uh, every but, day. But yeah, I, it's one of those things that like I think that you and I, because of our fandoms, because Penn State and Pitt didn't play while we were students, we come from it from a bit of a different perspective. I, I it, it's something like I completely get why old school, more old school Penn State fans and more old school college football fans, for that matter, want this one to happen more frequently. But for me, and I've had this conversation with some friends, like I'd much rather that Penn State plays Virginia Tech, you know, has a home and away, home and home with Virginia Tech, a home and home with WVU, and then they expand it out and toss one with Auburn in there, toss one with you know, some West Coast, like that's just more fun for me, but this is a rivalry that means it's a rivalry. I, I do contend that Penn state and Pitt are one another's biggest rivals. And I think this is a game that it's interesting to me, Nick, because as we were talking before the pod, there's plenty of bad blood. There's plenty on the line here. Penn State doesn't want to go into this next lull between games like it did back in 2000 where Pitt won the final matchup between those two for a 16-year hiatus. But from just a pure football perspective, stripped the rivalry away from it, getting up for this game, it's kind of tough. Um, I'm not totally sure I agree with that. Um. I mean, it, unless you're talking about kind of the, the matchup with Pitt in general or talking right, right, about well, this specific game. I, I, this specific game, because, I mean, like, it's very hard 
to get two into a game where there is a 17 and a half point favorite. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant from the kind of the team's perspective. Oh yeah. From a fan perspective, I totally agree. It's not, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's a no, it's the only time, the only way you, as a Penn state fan, you can really walk away from this as a kind of feeling a win is if they go out and beat them by like 35, right? Like it's, I, it, from in that regard, yeah, I definitely agree. It's it's hard to get too excited about it. And then to touch on something you said, I completely understand where like Todd Blackledge and yes. the old and all those Chris older Ballard generation. Said I completely about it this week. Yeah, I completely understand that where they're coming from, and I agree. I, this is absolutely a rivalry, and I mostly because trying to define what rivalry is is a fool's errand. But I I completely understand that viewpoint. But it's. It loses. It loses its. Uh, it kind of loses its merit when you go these extended stretches without playing each other. Like, yeah, like I. There's no reason that Penn State Pitt couldn't be like El Asico, Iowa, Iowa State, but Iowa and Iowa State play every year, and Pitt and Penn State have had like these extended stretches of not playing. So that once you go through that, it, it just kind of it, it changes things. And like you said, we. We never experienced it as students, and it it's it's hard to it's hard to get up for a game like that. That's you keep getting to keep getting told by older heads that oh, this is a rivalry, this rivalry they should play every year, but they haven't. So it's hard to kind of it's kind it's hard it's hard to get yourself in that headspace. I agree, and I I, I do want you just really quickly. You know, before we break down this game, because I agree with uh, what I think you were starting to get to, but the importance that this game has within the context of Penn State's schedule, and you know, as it starts to get into kind of the teeth of its regular season. Yeah, it's. I mean, it holds value in that you obviously want to win as many games as possible, but really, what it kind of seems like this season is going to come down to in the Big Ten is. It's really going to come down to three games, essentially. It's going to come down to Penn State-Ohio State, Penn State-Michigan, and Michigan-Ohio State. Now, Michigan State could sneak in there, but it, it that's what this Big Ten East is going to come down to. So really, in the grand scheme of things, this pit game doesn't really hold much relevance. I, I would probably throw Penn State traveling to Kinnick in there as one of those games that, like, Penn, well, yeah, I mean, there's yeah. Penn State going to Kinnick. There's Ohio State, uh, not Ohio State, Michigan going to Camp Randall, and I'm sure, and eh, no, because Ohio State, yeah, they have to go to Lincoln, which could be weird. That that could be that does some Purdue, but from last year potential, neither here nor there. Let's get into. Does this. Ohio State play Purdue again this year? No, I don't think so. Here, if you, it, it, I'm going to fill this space with noise for the next ten seconds while I, I say. Look, although no, I guess, not. I guess that would be in Columbus anyway. So. Would surely turn out poorly for yeah, I, Purdue. And oh, oh no! I'm I'm going to Columbus on the twenty. Well, that could be fun. I'm going to Columbus on the 29th and on the twenty eighth. Uh, they're traveling to Nebraska. So Huskers, if you want to do some stuff and make that a very fun day in the airport for your boy, I'd appreciate that a lot. Neither here nor there. Let's get into this game. Uh, Pitt. Pitt. It's it, it's Pitt, and we're gonna uh, to steal a phrase from the fine folks. Over at the shutdown forecast, we're going to put Pitt in to a dumpster. Uh, I'm. I, I think the best way to do this. I we're going to have a pod on Friday where it's just me talking with 
uh, our pal John McGonigal of the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. He'll give a bit of a perspective. He'll give kind of the pit perspective on things. Nick and I are going to try and approach this from more of the Penn State perspective on things. And uh, I want to break this down one side of the ball, the other side of the ball. So starting with Pitt's offense, uh, they made a coordinator change. They brought in former UMass head coach uh, Mark Whipple. Uh, his son uh, was a walk-on quarterback for Penn State for a few years. Uh, he's also won a Super Bowl as the quarterbacks coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So there's there are some ties to that city. But as we look at Pitt through its first two games, a loss to Virginia and a win over Ohio, Nick, what are kind of your feelings on this offense led by, uh, at this point, veteran signal caller Kenny Pickett? Man, that's weird that he's he's. A, I mean, he is a veteran at this point. That's that's very strange. He, um, know what the I, weirdest? Know what the weirdest thing is? He's a junior, so he has another year left if he wants it. And he is he a? Oh, right, because the year he was a freshman, the new redshirt rule was not in place. Yeah, so he. Well, no, his his freshman. He was in the class of twenty seventeen. So yeah. He, so that so that rule was. No, so yeah, it wasn't. He played yeah. as he played two games as a true freshman. So now he's in his true junior campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. So so Kenny Pickett. I we like to rag on Kenny Pickett a lot. I I really don't hate Kenny Pickett as a quarterback. Um, I think he could be a lot better than he is. But he has a pretty interesting skill set. I mean, we know he can. We know he has the ability to run the ball. He hasn't really done it this year, but we know he has the ability to run the ball. Um, I just, it's, for all the good things he can do, he makes a lot of mistakes, and he does a lot of stupid things. He, he oftentimes holds onto the ball way too long, and he, he just still does some things that you would have hoped, hoped he would have kind of grown out of by now as a junior, um, and maybe he still will. His season's still early, but um, he's while he's an interesting player, he's definitely not somebody that Penn State should be afraid of necessarily. Um, really, if you can keep him in the pocket and force him to beat you throwing the ball, you're in pretty good shape. And it, it, I want to give a hat tip to our friend uh, Ben at Blurms on Twitter who made the point as we were talking about this game – in his career, Kenny Pickett has, and this is not counting uh, when he got mop-up duty against Syracuse in as a true freshman. In his career, he has four games where he has thrown for under 100 yards, uh, including you know most notably when they played Clemson last year in the ACC title game and he threw for eight yards, which I'm I'm not going to hold that against him because that Clemson defense last year. He is, but he still has four such of those games, and he has two games in his career, including one last week against Ohio University, when Pitt scored twenty total points, where he has three hundred or more yards passing. He's. It, it's really hard for me as I look at him as a quarterback to think that Pitt is going to find itself in a position where he is going where him winning the game with his arm is the right move. Part of that because his offensive line is replacing four guys. 
they they only bring back uh, their starting center from last year. Everyone else on that offensive line is new. And when you are a new offensive line, you really do not want to have to go against a front like Penn State. We saw last week with Buffalo, they had a more veteran line. It was able to neutralize Penn State's defensive line a bit more. I don't know the extent to which Pitt's going to do that, which means they're going to put Pickett in situations where he has to act really, really quickly. And I'm not sure the extent to which him doing that is good for Pitt, but I definitely think it is good for Penn State. The other thing, Nick, and again, I want to hear kind of your thoughts on this. When we think of Pitt football, we think of them ground and pound, down and dirty, running the football. This year, uh, through two games, Pickett has thrown the ball 78 times, and they have attempted 67 rushes, which also has a quarterback sacks, tuck and run, stuff like that in there. Pitt has tried to be a throwing team. This is kind of weird to me because I think when I see this Pitt team, I expect them to run the football, and they might have a guy or two who can do that. And I think that they they need to run the football. I think the thing that's really kind of the biggest uh, detriment to uh, for Kenny Pickett is that if Pitt is winning games, Pickett's not really doing much of anything through the air, at least. Even if you think all the way back to when he was a freshman, that huge win again, that huge upset of Miami, they won that game because of Pickett's legs, not because of his throwing ability. And throughout his time as a starter, it's never been the case that Pitt has won games on the back of Pickett's arm. It's been that they've won games because they can run the ball and play defense. Even when Pickett plays really well, that's not the biggest determinant on their success, which I think says all, really that says the whole story of him and the offense in general, that if, if you can't put your team in a position to win with your best effort as a quarterback, then how much value are you really adding to the team mm-hmm. as compared to somebody else at replacement level? Um, but yeah, like you said, when I, when I think of Pitt, I definitely think ground and pound. I mean, they've had... They've had consistently great running backs over the last however many years, from James Conner to Kadri Allison and Darren Hall. Uh, A.J. Davis is putting up pretty decent numbers this year, running for 5.4 a carry. Um, so they, I mean, he's clearly he's clearly a step down from that kind of that latest that group that we just met that I just mentioned before. Um, but I think I mean for Pitt that's the key, right? It's if you can run the ball then you can do what you want to do, which is force teams to just try to be physical with you, try to let your defense do the weird things that they do under Narduzzi and take chances. And it's, I mean, that's, that's it. It's, it's kind of like when, um, uh, it's, it's like playing Michigan state almost. They're not doing anything different. It's, you know, what's coming at you. You just have to stop it. It's, it's funny because when I think of Pitt's offense, what I think is that they, I, I think back to the basically the first half of last year's game between Penn State and Pitt, where Pitt had the ball a whole hell of a lot. They were running the football. They were extending drives. Even if it wasn't ending in points, they were still wearing Penn State's defense down. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just in, interested in whether or not Pitt is able to do that this year. Because we, what we know about Penn State's offense 
is that while it isn't necessarily good, or it might not necessarily be good, at being out there for a while and milking clock, what it is really good is at throwing that knockout punch. And the more opportunities that you give Penn State's offense to be on the field, the more likely they are going to hit one or two or three of those knockout punches. And with a brand spanking new offensive line, with a new with a quarterback who's in kind of this newer system where they want him to throw it a bit more like it's not hard to see Pitts drive stalling out if they cannot establish a running game behind uh, a good young running back uh actually is he what, what class is he in whatever class he was in AJ Davis was a four-star he was he's a an interesting running back commit has ran it 21 times this year. I don't know if Pip is going to try and get him more settled in because he's not Quadrioles and he's not Darren Hall, but he does have the potential to be a good running back. And I do really want to see the extent to which Pitt trusts him or if they're going to trust Pickett to give the take the ball and get it into the hands of a Maurice French, of a Taser Mack, uh, of whomever they have out on their skill position, of former future Penn Stater Aaron Matthews, just those, t- those types of guys. Want to flip it over to the other side of the football, Nick, and I think you and I are going to make the exact same point about Pitt's defense, which is that its number one, two, three, four, and five priority is going to be throwing every single thing that it has at Sean Clifford and trying to get him to make a mistake. Yep, and we've seen that the last three years now even when it was McSorley Narduzzi would he came I mean to his I mean as weird and off-putting as Narduzzi is he still understands he understands a good deal about defense uh, it is a little I mean it's a little concerning that his defenses haven't gotten better throughout the course of his tenure at Pitt but that's also partially a recruiting thing um, but he he shows out for these Penn State games he comes up with some pretty creative stuff um, they always have interesting blitz packages. They they dare Penn State to beat them deep. They put their guys on islands back there in the secondary, and they they say come out here and beat us. And Penn State, to their credit, has done that the last two years, and nearly did it the first year once they kind of figured out what they were doing on offense as well. So it's like you said, he he will throw the kitchen sink at Penn State. He will pull out every trick he can think of. Uh, he'll pull out all the stops. He'll do whatever he can to try to slow this Penn State offense down. And it's for that reason that I think that Penn State fans should probably be prepared, at least in the big early going stages of this game, to see potentially a couple three and outs the way we did against Buffalo. See some stalled drives as kind of uh, as Ricky Ronnie and the rest of the offensive staff get more of a uh, handle on what. Narduzzi is actually doing on that defensive side of the ball. I mean, they're going to basically put, make it so Sean Clifford, in his third start as a college quarterback, is put into positions he's not used to. And whether that's when he's throwing the football, whether it's diagnosing things before the snap, whether it's where they're going to be bringing pressure from and what they decide to do to attack him and, you know, disguise man and zone and all these things on defense, they're going to throw a whole hell of a lot at him. And 
for how smart of a quarterback Sean Clifford is, for how good he's been uh, through these first two tests that he's gotten uh, in Idaho and in Buffalo, and for, you know, he's going up against a very good defensive practice every day, there's not, there's nothing, no way to replicate the basically just the wave after wave after wave of stuff that he hasn't seen in game action before that Narduzzi is going to try and throw at him. Uh, the good news is that Pitt's defense, it, it, it's probably not as good as you might think a Pat Narduzzi coach unit to be with a major reason why being a pair of injuries that they have suffered along the defensive line to two of their top contributors at those positions. Uh, But that defensive backfield is one that has a few names that every Penn State fan is going to remember. And I wouldn't be surprised if they basically try to make it so it turns into Sean Clifford versus Paris Ford and DeMar Hamlin and kind of do the cups and balls thing where you're constantly hiding stuff, showing one thing, it's somewhere, just all these smoke and mirrors to get him to make various mistakes. And Nick, as I look at this pit defense and I look at how you attack it, it seems to me that the answer is to make its secondary be, put as little of its thumbprint on the game as possible, which means going after that front seven, which means they're going to have to run the football better than they have in the last couple of games, in my estimation. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's especially with the uh, with the losses of Rashad Weaver and Keyshawn Camp, the strength of the pit defense is definitely the secondary with the guys you mentioned, Hamlin Ford. Uh, that's definitely the kind of the backbone of their defense. So I think you're right. If Penn State wants to be able to control this game from the get-go, they need to be able to run the ball. They need to be able to hit on those quick slants, quick hitches, things like that, kind of keep the ball a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage than maybe they have been. And that's not to say they won't they won't and shouldn't take their shots because they will and they should. Uh, but it's definitely going to be important especially thinking from just a kind of a, a game stamina aspect, you want to start wearing down uh, what Pitt has early on because they are not nearly as deep as, say, Penn State is. So the sooner you can get those starting defensive linemen, those starting linebackers a little worn down, uh, especially considering the nature of Penn State's offense lately, they haven't been on the field a whole lot. So you want to be able to wear those guys down when you have the chance to because that'll pay off later in the game. Absolutely, and it's you. How, how do I put this delicately? I I think that Pitt is going to be coached up very well. I don't know how being coached up very well eventually matters as the talent gap uh, eventually increases, and we see what happens when the four and five stars on Penn State's offense start going up against a Pitt defense that. That that relies a lot on its coaching staff, for I, I mean, for better or worse. But yeah, regardless, it's it's something that I and I, just kind of the last thing on Pitt's defense. I think after how Penn State's offense started last week, 
it's going to have a little bit more uh, juice coming out for this one. And I think that's good because I think this pit defense is going to come out and it's going to try and set the temp- set the tone of this game right away, going to try right away to get the crowd out of it. And Penn State's going to have to answer that. And I think that it's going to be really, really important that Sean Clifford settles into this game quickly. Uh, and boy, am I happy that this game is happening in Happy Valley, not in Pittsburgh, because I'd feel much, much worse about this if that was happening. But uh, I, I want to talk X factors that we think could help eventually decide this game, Nick. On both sides of the ball, what is the thing that you think is most important for Penn's the the X factor for Penn State on offense and the X factor for Penn State on defense that could tilt this game in one way or another? So on offense, I think it's and you you mentioned before how good Clifford has been throwing the football, um, and he has been he really has been outstanding throwing the football. Aside from those first two drives against Idaho, I think he's only thrown maybe two uncatchable passes since then and meaning that they were uncatchable um by by his own doing excuse me um but i think the kind of the x factor for him is that he he still needs to work on his uh his reads in the rpo game he's when he's thrown the ball he's thrown really well but there have been times he should have thrown and didn't there have been times that he shouldn't have thrown and he did um, even if it did end up working out, there have been times he should have kept the ball um, on the read option and didn't, and vice versa. So there's there's still a lot of work, and that's to be expected. That's gonna that was always going to be the part of the offense that came came last. That's always going to be the most difficult thing. It was the last thing that happened for Trace McSorley too. He picked up everything else, and then once those reads started settling in for him, and the game started to slow down in that regard, that's when he really took off. Um, so I don't expect Clifford to be able to do that perfectly here in week three of his starting tenure, but uh, just, again, continued progress in that area, I think, um, could be a big X factor. Because if he can start to do more and more right in that regard, then Penn State's offense should be able to become more efficient, and it'll become even more dangerous. For me, on offense, it's Pat Fryermuth. I mean, he's the matchup nightmare. He's the guy who... Uh, in the event that K.J. Hamler and Jahan Dotson and Justin Shorter and that receiver rotation is able to stretch the field a bit, there's going to be a whole hell of a lot of space underneath for Fryermuth to just sit in there and get the football and then make something happen. And it's a bit of an old adage in football that tight end is quarterback's best friend, but as Sean Clifford, is, he, he's built up a rapport with Pat Fryermuth. Pat Fryermuth leads the team in receptions and as Clifford I think looks to get settled into this game he's going to be turning that direction a whole hell of a lot on the other side of the football for me the x factor for Penn State is just the depth that it has along the defensive line we saw it have some struggles last week against a good Buffalo line but I I I think with Pitt's newer guys along that front the calculus kind of changes a bit and once they start getting into the third and fourth quarter the fact that Penn State seems to have one two three four five six seven like nine or ten guys along the entire line that they trust to play I think that's something that's eventually going to be really really hard for Pitt to handle I mean Nick for you on that side of the football what's the thing that you think serves as the X factor that could tilt this game in Penn State's direction. 
I think it's Penn State's ability to control Maurice French. Um, I think you'd agree with me that he is really the only playmaker of any concern on the on the pit offense. Um, and he is a dude. He's he's a good he's a good football player. He's got 192 receiving yards already this year. He's got a touchdown. Um, he reminds me of uh, what was the kid's name? The he was on pit in 2016. The return man who was the incredible return specialist who also played receiver. Was it Quadri Henderson? Was that his name? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Quadri Henderson. Uh, yeah. One of their many quadris and cadres. Um, yeah. He, he reminds me of him. He's not, he's not quite as explosive as Henderson. He, Henderson was an absolutely incredible return man. Um, but French is just, just a step below that. Uh, and he's really, really explosive. So I guess kind of cheating and, leaking defense into special teams also but um, being able to make sure that they can keep him in check which in other words turns into Jordan Stout continuing to be touchback Jesus and Blake Gilkin directionally kicking away from him in the punting game if Penn State punts Um, but then the defense just not not letting him get over the top really that's the only way that Pitt is going to be able to generate a big play on Penn State is if French can get loose over the top Um, so whether that's I, I would assume that They'll keep a safety back and kind of shade that side. Uh, Taysier Mack's a good receiver too, but he's not nearly as terrifying as French can be. So I would I would assume that Pry will take precautions to avoid having uh, French be able to make a big play like that. But that that's it for me. They're, the defense's ability to control him. If they can do that, then Pitt then Pitt really really doesn't have anything left to do on offense that can generate points quickly. So, so I think this is where we wrap up discussing the game. Uh, just a prediction that you have on this one. Uh, I, I think this uh, Vegas seems like it has it right. 17 and a half point favorite for Penn State over under a 53 and a half. Again, that sounds about right. What do you think, Nick? So... Knowing how this matchup has gone with last year being the aberration, even even in even two years ago when this game wasn't really close, it was closer than you probably would have thought in the scoreboard on the scoreboard. Um, so I, my head says that I I could definitely see this being something like thirty four ten, something like that possibly, um, but. My heart, or I guess maybe maybe more accurately, the other side of my brain. We know we know James Franklin. We know that James Franklin understands optics more than maybe any other coach in college football. Um, we know that he cares about those things. I feel pretty confident in saying that he probably wants to end this series for however long it stays ended. We'll see. Um, but I think he probably wants to send Penn State out with a bang, in, at least in this four-year back and forth that they have going here. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him really do everything they possibly can to lay down as many points as possible. So um, I'm per- I would take the over on this. I think, they, I think some points get put up here. Um, and I think, that this prob- I think that this could very easily end up something like Penn State 45 or 48 and pit around 
7, 10, 14, something like that. It, it, it's interesting because I kind of want to go in that direction to the direction of James Franklin going, well, if you you guys want to keep playing this game, well, this is what you have in your future if we keep playing this game. Mm-hmm. But at the, uh, I, I just can't get to that point for some reason. I I have respect for this, pit's, this pit defense and what it's going to throw at Clifford. And I wouldn't be surprised if it takes him a second to get off the ground on the other side of the ball. I do think Penn state's defense is going to do a pre I, it probably is a chip on its shoulder after how just weird last week's game was, you know, even though mm-hmm. uh, Buffalo didn't put up a billion points, I think that they, they still want to show that they got allow- exposed a bit. Yeah. Allowing 13 points and 430 yards of offense to Buffalo that's not something that they stand for. And I think they're going to come out and they're going to really put the clamps on pit and wait for the offense to catch up to them. I think something like 35 to 38 for Penn state, somewhere in that area to 10, 13 points for pit. That seems about where I'm at. Um, again, probably also worth noting that Penn state does have a buy the week after this. So there's kind of a little more space to be like, might as well leave it all out there this week. Yeah, my, we, we have that extra week to rest up and prepare for Maryland and all that. So, Juggernaut we, Maryland. They might be. Uh, it's So yeah, I, I'd say we'll go 38 to 10. We'll say that Jordan Stout, not Jordan Stout, uh, Jake Pinnaker gets a field goal in there. I, I, I do think... It's though, over 50, it could be Stout. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, it, it's... Yeah, I just can't bring myself to completely predict a blowout, even though I'm not going to lie. I'd love it if Penn State just completely hammered them. So uh, let's keep that in mind, James, as uh, noon approaches on Saturday. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, uh, noon on Saturday, Ohio State going to Indiana. That's, like we said, a noon kick on Fox. I don't think Indiana has a chance in this one. Uh, I think Ohio State's probably going to pour it on early and often. Nick, what do you think? I agree. I mean, it being in Bloomington has potential to make it a little weird. Not weird in that Ohio State might lose, just we- potentially weird in that they could keep it closer. It'll be Justin Fields' first road game at Ohio State, so you never know. I mean, Fields has been he's been good. I, I think his stat line is a little misleading. Um, I don't think he's been quite that good. Um, but uh, Ohio State, in all likelihood, will roll and win this by four-plus touchdowns. It, it, it's certainly going to be whether in Indiana's – I don't know if I'd go as far as to say they're out and out better than Cincinnati, but with this being a road game, with how Tom Allen's going to coach up that defense, it's going to, it, it will be interesting – uh, whatever amount of that I end up watching. Uh, a game that I'd probably, I'm probably more inclined to pay a bit more attention to, Maryland traveling uh, to Temple. It's a nooner on CBS Sportsnet. What makes this one so interesting, Maryland only a seven-point favorite over over Temple. Yeah, I, and I think that's probably fair. It's it's definitely a, it's definitely a good spot for a letdown game, right? It's, they've, They've blown out their first two teams, including Syracuse, who kind of feeling by like the end of this year, we'll look at that and be like, well, of course they blew out Syracuse. They're terrible. Um, but yeah, at Temple Temple knows how to make games weird. 
Penn State knows that firsthand. Um, so I think it's probably a fair line. I do expect Maryland to win and cover that, but it uh, I don't know. I'm I for one am excited about what Maryland is doing. I know it's not um, I know it's not conducive necessarily to Penn State's efforts. It's probably going to make that Friday night game all much more difficult and interesting, but it's I I I like Josh Jackson as a quarterback. I'm enjoying seeing him succeed. I I really like Anthony McFarland all the way back to when he was a Penn State recruiting target. So it's it's a really interesting offense, and I'm really looking forward to that Friday game. Yeah, it's uh, he- heading into this one. Maryland 38th and SP plus Temple 44th. A uh, good chance for uh, Maryland to come out and, like you said, we're we're gonna find out real quick whether or not Syracuse is fraudulent or not. But it looks like they might be. So. Good chance for them to come out against a good football team and uh, show that these first two games haven't been, um, I don't want to say fluky, but any doubt that might exist after these first two games might not be warranted. Um, Eastern Michigan at Illinois, noon kick on BTN. Lord, no, I'm not going to watch a second of this one. I think isn't the spread for this only like eight points? God, I'm gonna look. Uh, seven. <laughs> it was eight, so it went down. Oh man, Lovey. So, what was what was the final score last week of Illinois? Because I know they were down fourteen zero to UConn. They won thirty one twenty three. Thirty one twenty three. Okay. Yeah, Lovey, um, man, you, go like be a consultant somewhere or like give motivational speeches or something. You don't you don't have to do this. He, he didn't have to do it when he started doing it. I don't, I don't understand what prompted him to do it in the first place, but good for him, I guess. Yeah, I get like, I mean, they've gotten better. They, they have absolutely positively gotten better. There's, but also gotten better means they're 73rd in SP plus. So, um, not great. Um, moving on, uh, here's where we're playing the ticket price game for this week, Nick. 330 kick, BTN, at Ryan Field in Evanston. UNLV, uh, leaving the friendly confines of Las Vegas, Nevada, to take on Northwestern. What is the cheapest ticket that you can get for this game? Before I answer, is there any Big Ten team that plays West Coast teams more consistently than Northwestern? No. It's like, I mean, first of all, I, I swear Northwestern and Stanford have played every year since 1962. But um, All right. UNLV at Northwestern noon kick? 330. 330. Um, I'll say $6. Ooh. That was Eastern Michigan and Illinois. This is $2. Uh, $2. Listen, <laughs> if on the oh, off chance man. any of you live in Evanston or in the greater, well, not the greater Evanston area because that's Chicago. So the greater Chicago area and you got nothing else to do, why not? Fork over a few bucks. Go check this one out. You got literally nothing else to do, man. Um, Paying two dollars to watch Patty Fisher play football is a solid deal. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That's certainly a way of looking at it. Um, yeah, Georgia Southern. God, there are just so few games this week that I care about at all. But Georgia Southern goes to Minnesota three thirty kick on BTN. Cool. Ugh. Yeah. 
I don't care. Um, Michigan State is on uh, 4 p.m. on Fox. They're playing host to Herm and the new leadership program of Arizona State, which that game is going to be disgusting because uh, Michigan State is... Did Arizona State win this game last year? I think they did. I'll look look it up. I'm pretty sure they did. I'm... For some... Like, that sounds right. I, too, am looking this up, so we're going to see whose computer works faster. Um, they did. They did 16, 16 to 13. 13. That, that might happen Gross. again. Arizona State is 7th defensively in SP+, and 12th in special teams SP+. Uh, and, of course, Michigan State is Michigan State, so you know exactly what to expect out of them on both sides of the football. Um, this might be the first team to break double-digit points wins. Ugh. Gross. Yeah, I hate this. Um, El Asico, 4 p.m. FS1. We can game day. Yeah, they're getting game day this week. This is going to actually be the reverse ticket price game. What is the cheapest ticket that you can get for this one? Hmm. This is. I'm actually very impressed by this. It's it. It's in Ames, right? Yeah. It's not, yeah. It's not. Honestly. Um. I'll say. I'll say 42. You were off by $180. The answer is $222. Wow. Good for Iowa State fans, honestly. Like, that's awesome. I mean, I know there's nothing else to do in Iowa. So we're friends with uh, two people that went to Iowa State. um, And per their admission, they said there's literally, literally nothing else to do other than go to Iowa other than go to El Asico. Um, but still that's that I was, wow. Good. Impressive. Line is, uh, Iowa by two and a half. Like this has the potential to be like a legitimately very good football game. Uh, Nate Stanley taking, uh, the Hawkeyes into, uh, Ames to take on Brock Purdy and the Cyclones. Like, it seems like this is a game uh, that just what we know about Iowa, uh, one, when they get away from Kinnick, they're just a different football team. But they're a good squad. Uh, they're going to probably be pushed a bit by uh, this Iowa State team. Where is Iowa State is uh, 37th in SP+. Plus. Iowa is 20th. Uh, could be this could be a fun one. Like I think Iowa probably wins it, but I wouldn't be surprised in either direction. I have no idea who wins, but I would take the points. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should probably do that. Uh, another game that is just juicy for point taken. Uh, TCU going to West Lafayette to play Purdue seven thirty p.m. on BTN. This is a weird mm. like just. It's weird that these two athletic departments decided to play a football game against one another, but I'm fine with it. Uh, well, TCU played Ohio State, and yeah, then they true. figured we might as well play the better team. But the, but the thing is, the Ohio State game took place at a neutral site. So, like they played that at Jerry World. So this is a uh, was that a one off? Yeah, I believe so. Oh, okay, I could be wrong though. So who knows? Uh, but yeah, over under on this one is fifty one and a half. I would hammer that over. Yeah. Uh, TCU's got it. Has TCU? Oh, they've played one game, and it was against um, something called U- Arkansas Pine Bluff. I, I, I was going to say something called UAPB, but I will admit it's Pine Bluff. Um, yeah, this game. Anything that involves more Rondale Moore, I am a fan of. 
And, except and for, George Karlaftis. And George Karlaftis, except for when they play Penn State. They're going to both scare me a lot. Um, yeah, this game actually has the potential to be fun. You should probably watch this one. Yeah, I would, I'll, I'll do whatever I can to watch that. I don't know where in State College I will be at that time, but I'll try to watch that for yeah. sure. Like, I don't think there's anything like... Is there just like... No, there can't be one particularly crazy game this week because game day is going to end. going to El Asico. yeah. Uh, um, I think the biggest game, like there, you got Florida, Kentucky, uh, but Kentucky just lost their starting quarterback, so... Florida State's Um, going to go lose to UVA. Yeah. Um, Say Bama. Bama's playing South Carolina. Clemson's coming to visit me in Syracuse. I think US USC no wait uh did US, USC play someone uh, BYU at 3:30 oh yeah never mind yeah i love how it <laughs> there may not be any team in the country that gets more benefit of the doubt from the voters than USC like they Correct. were so average in week 1 and they were so like they haven't really been good since Sam Darnold, and they win one game over Stanford, and boop, there they are, 24. Well, you see, Nick, they they had a gigantic upgrade by replacing the five-star superstar quarterback with a guy who was a three-star and, like, barely in the top 800, if I remember correctly. So that's... Yeah, um, Sam Darnold, same situation. Well, no, Sam, Dar- Darnold, Sam Darnold, Darnold was, was, high, was a little higher. He was, like, higher. a top 150 kid. Mm, I don't know if he was top. I know he was four star. I don't know if he was top one fifty, but yeah, I mean, give me. He yeah. was not nearly as highly touted as. Oh um, well, yeah, JD Daniels is like there just that? a sure thing. Yeah, Darnold was the number one forty eight. Was that Max Brown that he took over for? I believe so. Uh, Darnold was the number one forty eight prospect in the country. Oh, barely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I win this one. Um, well, regardless, yeah, less highly touted than the guy he's replacing. The last Big Ten game is Northern Illinois at Nebraska. I don't care about this. I hope Northern Illinois wins by a lot of points, but I acknowledge that they almost certainly will not do that. Um, For the sake of the sanity of the people of Lincoln, I hope Nebraska wins this game. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm just I'm off the hype train. Like I was never I on was it. Never to, on the hype right, train. I was never on yeah. it to begin it. But now, just get get this get this out of my face. I. I want chaos at this point. So um, go uh, Northern Illinois is the Huskies. Yes, they are the Huskies. Who are the Salukis? Why can't I remember? Is that? Uh, I will never forget Northern Illinois because whenever I, whenever I hear Northern Illinois, I immediately think Husky because I think of their logo, and then I immediately think of Jordan Lynch after that. Yes, true. Uh, Southern Illinois is that. So I was – are, are the Salukis. So I, I was on the right track. I just uh, had to turn 180 degrees and walk in a different direction in the great state of Illinois. Um, gotta there, love the directional Midwestern state schools. Y- you gotta. Uh, is there anything else that we should talk about this week? Because I like I just don't care about anything in college football right now because this week sucks. To say we hit all the teams. I know Michigan and Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Is on a buy this week? Yes. You didn't and say it. You didn't say it. Yeah, they're, they're both on a buy. And then they play one another next week in a game that is going to be extremely funny. 
Yeah, I think Wisconsin might win that game by 24. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, I if I know playing, I know you guys, I know you guys talked about this on the recap. Probably, I didn't, I didn't get that far into it yet, but um, I know playing Army is weird. I know playing triple option teams is weird, but if you can't stop the triple option when you know it's coming. How are you going to stop Jonathan Taylor when you know he's coming? Mm-hmm. I will. I mean, I, I was actually talking about this with a um, with, with a coworker who is a Michigan fan. Michigan's defense like didn't play poorly by any stretch of the imagination. Army averaged it's three, army. right. Yeah. They averaged three yards a carry. If they scored twenty one points, which includes seven in overtime, like. Michigan's offense was the one that nearly lost them that game, and Michigan's defense played all right. Like it wasn't, it, it wasn't quite lights out, but it was still good. Like Army did a lot of shooting itself in the foot. There, I say Michigan's Michigan's defense played fine, but their best defensive play was Army throwing the football. Yes, correct. And it's the the fact that there's like someone who can throw it like Jack Cohn isn't going to kill them, but he's going to make good decisions with the ball in his hands. And you mix in maybe the and best. Quintus Cephas looked awesome last week. Yeah, but it, it's armies. I mean, not army. It's Wisconsin. They're going to try and run the football down their throats. And when they have the offensive line that you expect out of Wisconsin, when they had the running back, that even by Wisconsin standards is a very, very good running back. I'm interested. We'll talk. I, I think we'll talk about that more next week, assuredly. But for now, uh, let's tie a nice little bow on this. Are there any nice things that you would like to say about the University of Pittsburgh, Nick? No, you don't? Okay, let's wrap up this episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. Uh, Make sure you're constantly reading the site, subscribing to the podcast, following us on all of our various social media platforms. Uh, go leave us a review on iTunes. That actually does help, it turns out, so I'm going to stop being uh, sarcastic about y'all doing that. If you could do that, that would be really, really cool of you. Uh, keep an eye out for Friday when we're going to have a little bit of a bonus pod about the Penn State Pit game that includes a little look into the pit side of things. But for now... Thank you, as always, for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Lock the gate.